Hey, how's everybody doing today? You doing good? Really? Come on, are you doing good? Yes. Come on. I know that that, that uh, creepy bumper made a lot more sense during Halloween time, didn't it? Yeah, for sure. Hey, speaking of scary, uh, at all of our campuses, just want you to know something's happening here at, uh, at South Barrington, and you can join us in this. We've got a picketer who's kind of aggressive uh, outside, uh, off the campus, but as people are driving in, we've got a picketer. And, uh, you know, what do you do in that situation? Well, the Bible says, you know, pray for your enemies. And so I would love for all of our campuses to just join me in praying. I don't know what this guy's problem is, uh, but let us pray together for the person that's angry with us. Can we do that? Let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, at all of our campuses, Lord, uh, Jesus said, blessed are you when people persecute you or say all manner of evil against you falsely or... Uh, and Lord, I don't know exactly what's going on. I just know that somebody's angry and aggressive. And, and, um, and so, Lord, I just want to pray for them. I want to pray, God, that you would ease their mind, you'd ease their heart. I pray, Father, for their safety, for our safety. We pray, Father, in thanksgiving for uh, our security teams and the police and those folks that look out for our safety. We pray for them. We pray, God, for our own hearts, Lord, and minds that we would react at any time in our lives when people are mad at us or threaten us, Lord, help us to get our own heart right first before we can respond to others. God, we want to be like Jesus, who in the face of persecution was silent, who in the face of persecution was loving, and who was kind. Lord, help us to be like Jesus in everything that we do. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um. It was in 1913, uh, Standard Oil was at the height of its success. Its founder, John D. Rockefeller, was leading the way. And um, he was worth, at that time, about 3% of the gross domestic product of the United States. And if that doesn't sound like a lot, it's actually a lot. In 1913, he was worth over $900 million. Dollars. They were coming against him and threatening uh, these uh, antitrust lawsuits, and he was just getting so big. Now, that was $900 plus million in 2013. You adjust for inflation over the last couple of hundred, you know, or 100 years or so, 3% compounded interest over these years. You know what he'd be worth today? No, seriously, I don't know. I went to Bible college. I can't do that math, so you got to help me out. But it's, it's going to be billions of dollars. And, and a reporter came up to him at one point and said, how much money is enough? And John D. Rockefeller famously replies, just a little bit more. Now, he's not the only one. Michael Norton out of Harvard, did a, uh, Harvard Business School, did a study with 2,000 Millionaires, people with a net worth of a million dollars. Now, some of them were multi, multi, multi millionaires. And he asked them the question, what would it take for you to be perfectly happy with the amount that you had? And every one of them, no matter whether they had a million dollars or whether they had $10 million or $20 million, every one of their answers averaged out to be about two to three times more than they had right then. So if I had $5 million, and I'd be perfectly happy if I had 10 to $15 million. Just a little bit more. 
more, more, more. You know, in Luke 12, Jesus talks about a guy like this, a guy that built his barns bigger and bigger and bigger because he wanted more and more and more. And Jesus actually calls him a fool because his whole life is about accumulating more stuff. You know what I'd call him? Exhausted. Many times miserable. Because I've met people like this where they think, man, if I just had this thing, then I'd be happy. And then they get that thing, and, and the shininess of it wears off. It just sort of fades. Or if I get this level of success, then, then I'll be happy. But then they get that level of success, and it's like somebody just moves the, the finish line down the road. It just, it's always more. And, the, and then when I get there, a little bit more and a little bit more, and they're exhausted, and they're dissatisfied, and they're miserable. And honestly, I feel like sometimes it's... It, it's It's actually the opposite of that phenomenon. I mean, I think some of the most happy people, some of the most joy-filled people are some of the people that I would never have expected to be joy-filled and happy in my life. I remember going down to Nicaragua, the slums of Nicaragua, and thinking, these people, these families are going to be so depressed. They're going to be so sad. And you meet them, and they're so happy. And they're so joy-filled. And I'm telling you, they have nothing. I went down to the slums of Mexico, and I thought, these kids that I'm going to see, they're going to be so sad, they're going to be so depressed, and they've got a soccer ball, but it's not a soccer ball, it's literally duct-taped up garbage, and they're playing soccer with a soccer ball, and they're laughing, and I'm just looking at these kids going, what do they have, what do they know, what, what is the secret here? Guys, I don't think greed is so much about what you have. I think greed is not about what you have. It's about being trapped in the lie that you can never have enough. Trapped in the lie that says, I've got to have more and more and more. 2,000 years ago, Paul, church leader, church planter, uh, he's coming to the end of his ministry, and he's kind of passing down wisdom to young leaders. And there's a young church planter named Timothy. And Paul, we actually have a letter from Paul to Timothy. And Timothy's got some pretty wealthy people in his church. And Paul is going to pass on some wisdom about how they can break free from the trap that is greed. If you want to be uh, reading along with me, I'm going to be in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. Paul says this to young Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul starts, saying out, Paul, Paul starts out by saying the goal, the, the, the end game it is not stuff, it's not a level of wealth, it's, it's contentment. Godliness can, with contentment is great gain. Kurt Vonnegut, uh, a famous author, was at a VIP party at a billionaire's house uh, on Shelter Island. And he, he sees across the room Joseph Heller, who is another famous author. He wrote the, the novel Catch-22, if you've ever heard of that. And these guys get to talking, and Vonnegut sort of teases Joseph Heller and says, you know, you realize that our host this evening made more in one day today than your Catch-22 novel has ever made in its history of existence. And Joseph looks at him and says, yeah, but I've got something that he doesn't have. And Kurt Vonnegut said, well, what could that be? And he said, the knowledge that I've got enough. Contentment is the goal. Great philosopher, the Greek philosopher Seneca, he said, it is not the man who has little 
but he who desires more that is poor. Contentment is the goal. The great theologian, Sheryl Crow, she wrote, it's not getting what you want, but wanting what you've got. I want to soak up the sun, right? Contentment is the goal. Okay, so if contentment is the goal, is to get off of that, that trap that, or get out of that trap of, of greed or, or to get off that treadmill that says, I got to keep going, I got to keep going, I got to go for more and more and more and get miserable. If contentment is the goal, well, then how do I do it, Paul? And he goes on in verse 7 and he says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. Dave Ramsey says that you never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. You can't take it with you. So the first thing I'd share with you if you want to break free from greed is to understand and to realize that you just can't take it with you. Now, I want you to know I love cars. I love cars. If I'm going to splurge in some area of my life, it's going to be a car. If I could have that new electric Hummer, okay, to drive to work every day. The thing can crab walk. It, all of its wheels can turn sideways and go like this. That's amazing to me. If I could have that to drive to work, and then on summer days, if I could have a nice Porsche uh, convertible, and then on date nights, if I could have like a 1970s Mustang Mach 1, like a big muscle car, I think Rachel would love me more if I had that car. Like, I love those cars. Now, do you know the most expensive car that you can buy is the Bugatti La Voiture Noir? Ooh, everybody say, ooh. Everybody say, ah. That car is $17.8 million. Can you believe that? $17.8 million. And Paul would tell you, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Jesus would come along in Matthew 6, 19, and he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves come in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus would say, hey, that $17.8 million car, first of all, it doesn't even have a cup holder, all right? That $17.8 million car, Jesus would say in heaven, this is going to be a pile of rust. And I'll tell you what, there's something freeing about imagining being up in heaven and somebody carrying around this little pile of rust like there's some big deal. And going, well, what was that? Well, it was a Lavator Bugatti Noir, whatever. And you're sitting there with your 1982 Yugo pile of rust. And it's just, nobody cares because it's just a pile of rust and we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? I love that. He who dies with the most toys still dies. You can't take it with you. All right, verse eight. Uh, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If I'm going to overcome greed, then first I want to realize that you can't take it with you. And the second thing I want to do is I want to focus on those basic blessings that God has given me. Food, clothing, those basic things. Danny Simpson, uh, Danny Simpson robbed a bank in 1990 in Ottawa, Canada. 
He's a 24-year-old boy. He went to jail, and his gun went to a museum because he was convicted of robbing uh, $6,000 from the bank, but the gun that he used in the robbery was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic antique made by Ross Rifle Company out of Quebec City in 1918, and the pistol itself was worth (laughs) $100,000. And I think to myself, you know what? If that boy could have focused a little bit more on what he had. He never would have made a dumb decision to go after more. Are you with me on that? If he focused a little bit more on what he had in his, he never would have made that dumb decision to go after more. And you know what? I probably need to do that same thing. Focus a little bit more on those blessings that God has put in my life. And when I do that, I have found that when I do that, God seems to let those shackles of greed just fall off of my arms. I read that there are 40,000 people that die every year because they don't have enough food. Now, we're getting ready to go into Thanksgiving. (laughs) And we're going to have a spread a lot of us, more food. Our our problem on Thanksgiving is we don't have enough notches on our belt after the meal. That's going to be our problem. And there are people in this world, 40,000 of them that are dying because they don't have enough food. I read this, that if you have food in the fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. That if you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and and spare change someplace, you're among the top 8% of the world's most wealthy. Can that be true? But if these things are true, then what that means is every time that that I'm looking out and thinking, man, I'd love a Porsche, or man, I'd love a Bugatti, or man, I'd love to do all those things, and God is going, do you realize how blessed you are? Look at all these things that I have provided for you. Now, I stop just for a second and say this. There are those among us that do not have those basic blessings. And there are people that are watching me right now who are here right now. There are those that are in our church who are hungry and who are homeless. And may it never be so. And I want you to know, if you're watching this and hearing my voice, I want you to know that we are so glad that you are a part of our church. And part of the goal of our church is that you wouldn't be hungry and that you wouldn't be homeless. That we would be a people, yes, that can meet needs around here. And oh, by the way, we don't just want to, you know, hand down. Like, we want you a part of our church. We want to know your story. We value you. We want you to be a part of this community. Our church, we believe, cannot be everything that God has called this church to be without you. And all the people that are clapping right now are agreeing with me so that you'll know that we value you so much being a part of this church. If I want to overcome greed in my life, I'm going I'm to focus on those basic blessings. I'm going to realize I can't take it with me. And then Paul goes on in verse 9. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
temptation and a trap, like that treadmill I was talking about, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now let's talk about those couple verses for a second. Um, money in and of itself is not evil. This, this verse often gets quoted. Money is the root of all evil. That's not what he said. He said money is a root of all sorts of evil, all kinds of evil. Money in and of itself is not evil. Money is just a tool. God wants you to use money to love people. Now, if you mix that up, there's a real problem. If you start to use people because you love money, that's a real problem. God wants you to love people and use money to love people. There are people in the Bible who were filthy rich. Abraham, super rich. And he used his money to follow God, uh, to, to, to travel and to follow God to a new place. Uh, David. David helped build that temple. He had all kinds of money. He helped build the temple of God so the people of God could worship. Um, Barnabas. Barnabas supported the work of Jesus. Those early Christians, they gave to those who had need in Acts 2. Um, Susanna. Susanna was um, uh, 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 the wife of a politician, and she used her money to support the work of Jesus. Like, it is not bad to have money. This is how will you use that money? And Paul says you got to be real careful because you might fall into the trap of loving money. Now, why would you ever love money? Because you start to believe that money can do stuff for you that it really can't. Or that money can do something for you that actually God is the only one that can do for you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about avoiding the traps of greed when you believe that, that money can somehow make you secure. There are those who start to love money because they believe that money can somehow make them secure. If I just had enough money, it would eliminate the suffering in my life. It it would insulate me from the hard things of life. And can we just stop for a minute? Because you know that's not true. You know that when a semi is is jackknifing on the road and sliding down the road, it's not like he looks at, at somebody that's got an old beat up pickup truck. Or a Mercedes and go, well, I better go for the pickup truck. Like, that doesn't insulate you. Cancer does not care what you earn. If you got the word that your teenager was addicted to drugs, it doesn't matter if you got a 15,000 square foot house or a 1,500 square foot house. It doesn't matter. Like, money will not insulate you from suffering. I've got guys right now, I've got some, uh, a friend, a wealthy friend who can barely sleep at night because he had to uh, um, do some cuts in his company. And it's just stressing him out. Like I've got another um, friend that by all accounts, you'd consider them wealthy. But you know what? His son has cancer. And you know what? He'd trade every dollar in the world to save his kid from, from, from that. It will not insulate you. Only God, only God can give you real security. Look at this verse. You're going to love this. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. 
So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I'm not going to fall in love with money thinking that it's going to give me security because only God can do that. I'm also not going to fall in love with money thinking that more money is going to give me significance. More money does not give you significance. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of the Island Boys. I don't know if you've seen the Island Boys. These are the Island Boys. They sang a song on TikTok. I'm an Island Boy. I'm going to try to make it. I said, the Island Boy. I'm an Island Boy. And that was it. But millions of people, keep this up here, millions of people have watched this thing and it just went viral, okay? Millions of people watching this. Now, what happened then was because these boys have hair that is, shall we say, less than traditional, and they got tattoos everywhere and all this kind of stuff, people just started blowing it up, mocking these boys. Now, they didn't know it at first. They thought, wow, we're amazing, But then they started realizing people are mocking them. People are making fun of them, millions of people. And their response now now is see them fanning all that money. That is their response. They'll answer somebody's uh, comment by going, you know what, you think we're weird? And they just fan money. As if somehow that money gives them status. And significance. You can take that down. Because here's the thing. I got to be honest. I'm watching that all happen. And I kind of thought, what silly boys. Not because of their hair. Not because of their song. Silly boys fanning money as if that's a big deal. Flexing in that way. But you know what? I think I've done the same thing. I bet you know someone that's done, that, that, that by flexing, when I start to feel insecure, when I start to feel like maybe my status isn't where I want it to be, you know what, I'm going to go out and get a new suit. Or I'm going to go get a nicer car. I'm going to try to earn more. I'm going to try to show people by what I have that I am somehow significant, that my status is somehow elevated. Guys, God, God is the only one that determines your value. God is the only one that determines your value. Um, this is, I don't know if you can see this. This is a $10 bill. It's a $10 bill. Do you know why I know it's a $10 bill? You say, well, duh, because it's got $10 on it. But do you, know, do you know how much this is worth? $10. Duh. Come on, give us a harder question. Yeah, okay, yeah. But here's the thing. It's not really worth $10. I mean, this piece of paper in and of itself might be worth maybe a tenth of a cent. But see, what has happened is the United States of America, that's what it says right there, the United States of America has created this dollar and has bestowed value on this piece of paper. And now because it is the creator and it has the power and it has bestowed $10 worth of value on this piece of paper, guess what? I now say, that's worth $10. Now, my question for you is this. If I put that $10 down there and I just get it all dirty and nasty and mar it up, what's it worth now? $10. Well, what if I crumple it up? uh, What if I do that? And now it's all crumpled up. What's it worth? 
$10. You got it. You see, there are people in life, I think, that some coach has come along and said, you know what, you're just not talented enough. Or some teacher has come along and said, you know what, you're just not smart enough. Some loved one that just walked out on you. You're not lovable enough. You're just not enough. But you have a God who's the creator, who has the authority, whose son died on a cross for your sins, who said, you know what? You have immense value. That is God who gives you that immense value. Value And nobody can take that away. Nobody can mar that. Nobody can crumple that. Nobody can touch that. You are worth something, not because you have money, but because the creator who has the authority has given you, bestowed upon you, immense value. Yeah, you can pray. All right. So overcome greed. We're going to realize that you can't take it with you. We're going to focus on the, those basic blessings, and we're going to avoid the traps of money. I'm not going to fall in love with money thinking that it's going to give me security or significance because only God can do that. And then finally, let's go back. Uh, we'll pop down to verse 17. Paul saying in his letter to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they'll lay up for themselves treasures, uh, treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of life that is truly Life. Now, this is interesting because Paul was at the Macedonian church when he wrote this. The Macedonian church, known in Scripture as that one church that got the credit for giving way beyond what they could afford. So somehow these Macedonians were just these incredibly generous people. And it's like Paul has watched this, observed these people, and he's saying, you know what? You want to overcome greed, man. Generosity. Understand the joy. I have seen the joy in these people's lives. I have watched the shackles of greed fall off of these people's lives. And so if you want to overcome greed, man, the antidote is generosity. Generosity. And I would say that same thing to you. Some of the most joy-filled, fulfilled people that I've ever met are those that understand how to be open-handed with what God gives them. Now, I have seen sort of steps in generosity. And and I want to share these steps with you because I feel as though these are sort of these standard steps that people take. Because for some of you, you might be at one point in your generosity journey and you go, I don't know. And there might be more steps to take. Can I show you these steps? The first one is this, a compassionate giver. These are folks who see a need and they want to meet the need. They see a need of, of, you know, a celebration of hope partners around the world that that need food or need help in some way, or the 84 refugee packs that you all put together to help families in the Chicagoland area. You see a need and you rise up to meet that need, or the over 1,200 backpacks that you gave to people, uh, to students last, uh, last school year. 
you see a need and you go, you know, something stirs in your heart and you want to meet that need. And then when you do, I have found compassionate givers say, I feel such joy in that giving. In fact, most compassionate givers will feel that joy and then at some point go, you know what? I want to take a next step in my generosity journey. And a lot of times, those folks will move up to this consistent giving. This idea of consistent giving. It's not sporadic anymore. It's not just in reaction to a need anymore. It's not just whenever I have spare change or some spare cash at the end of the month anymore that I participate in giving. It's that I've experienced the joy of giving and now it has a priority in my life. And so I want to make it a part of my regular budget. So people that you say, you know what, I value Netflix or I, I value my cell phone or my car payment or whatever. So I'm going to put that in my budget. There are people that put giving in their budget. And so they'll say, hey, every month I'm going to sponsor a child at X amount of dollars. Or I'm going to give to the church X amount of dollars every month or that sort of thing. And so people move to this consistent giving. Now here's what happens when you move to this consistent giving, like in a church, then you know that all of the wins, all of the things that the church does, like when you see baptisms happen, when you see the, uh, the care center uh, taking care of people, all of these things that you see the church does, you feel an ownership in those things. That's the joy. That's the joy. And there are some people, now you're not going to believe this, <laughs> because this might blow some of you away. There are hundreds of families around you that have taken another step in giving, and that is tithing. Tithing. There are people around you, hundreds actually, of families, thousands in this church, that actually give 10% of their income to their local church. Now, I like C's, I like the alliteration, so I made this one Christ first giving. And the reason I call it that, or the reason people do it, is because when God first started teaching people about how to handle money, he said there's, there's, there's a principle called stewardship, which is I own it all and you're, you're a manager of those things. He also taught them tithing, this idea of giving first to Jesus as a way to put Christ first in every area of our lives. Rachel and I have done this ever since we were married yeah, in, uh, in those early days, even times where you kind of go, I don't know if this is all going to add up at the end of the month. But I tell you what, this has been the spiritual practice in my life where I have seen God show up in amazing ways. And where I have seen joy exude in amazing ways. Now, there are a lot of folks that are tithing in this church. And I just want to say to you, thank you. We could not do what we do without your faithful giving. So thank you so much. But I will tell you also, there is another level of giving that is blowing me away. Um, over the last probably 10 or 15 years, I've come into contact with people that the Bible says have the gift of giving, a spiritual gift of giving. And I'll call these people catalytic givers, catalytic givers, because they make things happen with their giving faster than probably uh, it would have happened otherwise. And these people are really kind of challenging me. They're inspiring me in my giving. Uh, people like um, uh, Rick Warren. Rick Warren decided one day, he, now he's got uh, uh, a lot of opportunity. 
he said this, he's going to start reverse tithing. So what Rick does is he lives on 10% and gives 90%. Isn't that amazing? I've got a friend of mine in ministry. Uh, he's not making a ton of money, but he decided one day that he was going to try to live on 50% and give 50%. And then every year of his life, he wanted to up his percentage of giving by 1%. And he's about 15 years in, and he said, you know what? I'll never turn back. God has been so amazing during this time in my life. These people are just challenging my understanding of giving. Somebody challenged me, one of these people challenged me to say, you know what, Dave, do you have a retirement goal? I said, yep, I have a retirement goal. Do you have a savings goal? Yep, I have a savings goal. Do you have a giving goal? Nope. (laughs) You know? I was just being honest. These people are inspiring me. They're, they're calling me to levels. And these are the people that I have seen come through. And you know what? Buildings have happened because of them. Charities that get started because of them. These people that God is using in incredible ways. Catalytic givers. So I share those things with you in, in order to kind of lay it out for you to say, hey, is there a next step that God might be calling me to take in my generosity journey. It might be one of those ways that God uses in your life to unshackle greed and to begin to see more joy and fulfillment in your life.